0: I'm Abigail Vaca,
1: And I'm Keith Berthium.
0: And this is the Global Treasures Podcast. We'll cover different World Heritage sites each episode.
1: These sites have been identified as having outstanding universal value.
0: Because they have cultural and or natural significance that is so exceptional that it transcends national boundaries and is of importance to present and future generations.
1: There are 1,199 sites across the world, with more being added every year.
0: We'll spend each episode exploring the history, legends, travel tips, and so much more.
1: Welcome to Season 2, where we will explore the 45 sites that UNESCO added in 1979.
0: If you want to support the show, please give us a review and tell your friends about us. In this episode... Keith and I will be introducing you to the Amphitheater of El Jem in Tunisia. It's the largest and most well-preserved amphitheater on the continent of Africa and gets upwards of a million visitors annually.
1: All right. So the year is 238 AD and it was a tough year for the Roman Empire. This year was actually known as the Year of Six Emperors and was an early warning for what historians call the Crisis of the Third Century. There were other names for this time. Military anarchy or the imperial crisis are just a few names that historians give this period. It's a time when the Roman Empire nearly fell apart under multitudes of pressures, both from within and without invasions, migrations into Roman territory, civil wars, peasant rebellions, political instability, Roman reliance on foreign mercenaries known as the Federati, commanders that were becoming increasingly independent, plague. Currency displacement and economic development were just a few of the many problems facing the empire.
0: But out of this mess came one of the Roman Empire's most lasting physical legacies, the amphitheater at El Jem. This amphitheater is an incredible oval amphitheater in the modern-day city of El Jem, Tunisia, with a population of around 22,000 people.
1: This town was one of the most important towns in North Africa only second to Carthage during the Roman Empire. Its name at the time was thistris and it was in the Roman province of Africa and a very important trade hub. The amphitheater actually has a nickname, the African Colosseum, because of its grandeur and how closely it resembles the Colosseum in Rome in both size and design.
0: It's one of the most well-preserved Roman stone ruins in the world and is the only amphitheater in the world other than the Colosseum of Rome to retain an intact facade with three levels of galleries. It's also unique in Africa because it's one of the only remaining amphitheaters not built into the side of a hill. So, built starting in 238 AD, it was originally intended for spectator events. With an estimated capacity of an astonishing 35,000, it measures 486 feet by 400 feet or 148 meters by 122 meters. The arena floor alone measures 210 by 128 feet, which is 64 by 39 meters. The overseeing of construction was finished by Emperor the III.
1: The amphitheater is built entirely of freestanding stone blocks on flat ground, with no foundations. The construction was modeled after the Colosseum in Rome, but isn't quite an exact copy. The building has many original pieces, such as tiered seats, arches, and elliptical stone walls, which are actually intact up to 100 full feet in some places. The interior of the site still has a supporting infrastructure for all the tiered seating as well. So, the exterior facade that's still intact soars to a height close to 100 feet and features massive sculpted protomes of Greco-Roman gods and a protome is kind of like the head and the upper body. So these are decorating the spandrels, which is that triangle formed between an arch and the next level of a building. Archaeologists found the intact hypogeum, which is the underground basement in 1904, which actually gave us a much clearer indication of how this arena would have functioned. This hypogeum consists of two vaulted galleries and loads of tunnels. There's even an evidence of a tunnel that leads twenty two miles, which is 35 kilometers, to the sea, where it's thought that elephants dragged rock, Tunisian marble, and other deliveries made from Italy during the 60 years of construction.
0: Later, this served as a private entrance for the wealthy arriving by ship. The side rooms served to house slaves, caged lions, other dangerous animals, and gladiators. There were also ramps for chariots and shafts to raise both caged animals and slaves into the arena. Stone for the construction had to be hauled from quarries 19 miles away on the coast. Water was brought by underground aqueduct from the hills to the northwest 9 miles away. Visitors approach the amphitheater by descending steps that mimic the stadium's tiered seating. Many of the thousands of visitors from around the world argue that the main facade and the building in its entirety is in better shape than its counterpart in Rome the colosseum
1: as i mentioned earlier this year was tumultuous for the roman empire and especially this arena during this year there was a revolt by the population at thyzris who opposed the massive taxation being levied by emperor maximinius's local procurator who is the man responsible for the treasury and the tax collection of the area riots ensued and the procurator was assassinated however even this assassination wasn't enough to satisfy the locals and they pleaded for a new Roman ruler of the empire. the I was declared emperor of Rome along with the II, obviously his son, to co-serve as Roman leaders. Their rule was short-lived, however, only lasting about 20 days. The governor of the next-door province in Numidia, named Capilanias, who was loyal to the emperor Maximinius, marched his troops against Jordianus. Capilanias had a formidable army, and Jordianus could only pull together a mob assembled from the residents of Carthage, where he was located at the time. As you can expect, this mob was easily defeated by the superior Numidian army. It's said that Jordianus, when he realized his rebellion was doomed, committed suicide in the amphitheater.
0: See, this is why I struggled in history class. All of these people have the same names. I blame nepotism.
1: Amazingly, in a turn of events, the III became emperor of Rome later that same year and remained emperor for six years. He originally intended to honor the memory of his grandfather by finishing the amphitheater, but there's evidence that he may not have finished it. And even though it wasn't completely finished, it's still an impressive attraction today.
0: The site became a shelter when the population of the city sought refuge here during the attacks of the Vandals in 430 and again in 647, when the Arabs surrounded and attempted to capture the city. During the second attack, the Berber princess Al-Kahina was inside the amphitheater. According to legend, that same long tunnel that was mentioned before linked the amphitheater-turned-fortress to the sea, where the fresh supplies could be brought in. It's said that the princess tormented her besiegers by waving fresh fish from atop the walls on a daily basis.
1: Starting in 670 AD, some of the stones were taken to be used to build the surrounding town, and also many stones were taken for the great mosque in Kourion, which the construction was just beginning. Each and every leader since then has left some sort of mark on it from here on out. For instance, in 1695, during the Revolution of Tunis, Mohammed Bey el-Muradi made a large opening in one of the walls to stop the resistance of the followers of his brother, Ali Bey el-Muradi, who gathered inside the amphitheater. Around this time, el Jem was hit by cannon fire and was further quarried for its treasures and its masonry. Then, the structure became a saltpetre manufactory, which saltpetre is a material used in the production of gunpowder, in the end of the 18th and into the 19th century.
0: By the second half of the 19th century, the amphitheater at Elgem was being used for shops, dwellings, and grain storage.
1: In more modern history, this site has been used for multiple cultural events. Nike, the clothing and shoe company, used this location for a famous television commercial called Good vs. Evil, in which a gladiator-style soccer game was set in this amphitheater. A slew of famous soccer players defend the game against a team of demons who play really dirty. The commercial ends when the famous player, Katona, receives the ball from soccer legend Ronaldo. He pulled up his shirt collar, which was his trademark, and delivered the final line, au revoir, and while kicking a ball through the evil goalkeeper and banishing the demonic team. In other pop culture, the fourth episode of The Amazing Race 1 concluded here as well.
0: Many people believe that because of its size and appearance, the movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe was filmed here. But it actually wasn't. A fake Colosseum was built on the nearby island nation of Malta for filming. Another myth claims that Monty Python's Life of Brian was filmed here, but that was actually filmed at the nearby Roman Theater in Carthage. I was disappointed to learn about that one.
1: Regardless of the modern pop culture references, this amphitheater remains a crucial artifact for understanding the Roman Empire in the south of the Mediterranean and in Africa. The magnificence, preservation, and the rich history are some of the reasons that this site was incorporated into UNESCO in the second class of sites in 1979. Alright, now that we really unpacked the history of the site, I'd love to hear more about any travel tips or other fun facts you uncovered in your research, Abigail.
0: Sure. So, if you want to visit the amphitheater and are coming from a country outside of Tunisia, you can fly to Tunis and take a direct train to El Jem, which takes about three and a half hours. There appears to be multiple trains that depart and arrive daily, so you'll have a host of times to pick from throughout the day.
1: So are the trains expensive? I know it kind of varies depending on the country, of course.
0: No, public transportation appears to be very inexpensive. And from the train station, you can actually walk to the amphitheater instead of taking a taxi, so you can save money there as well. Just know that you can't purchase train tickets ahead of time. You have to buy them in person when you get to the station. I highly recommend listeners consider booking a tour through a vetted site like Viator, as you can't buy tickets to enter the amphitheater or the museum online. This will ensure that you have a tour in your native language as well, as Arabic is the primary language in Tunisia. If you're planning on purchasing tickets yourself, again, Please know you have to buy them at the main office when you get there. Keith and I have done tours and self guided options for a bunch of different UNESCO World Heritage sites, and I can tell you sometimes the tours aren't cheap, but the convenience and lack of stress really makes it worth your while. But if I can't convince you, know that a ticket to the amphitheater includes a ticket to the museum as well. The amphitheater is open year round. If you're a photographer, This site, especially at sunset, is going to be a great place for you to snap some fantastic pictures. Funny side note, it's hard to find much information about visiting this site in terms of reviews, but something that visitors report is that one of the cleanest public bathrooms in Tunisia is located to the right of this entrance. So let us know which direction the water swirls when you flush. If you're a big classical music fan, You may want to schedule your trip around the International Symphony Festival, which features the Tunisian Symphony Orchestra and European Symphony Orchestra, among others. It looks like it's been hosted here for some time, and I imagine it must be pretty magical. I mean, what a setting. So, just some minor safety alerts. Much like other sites we've covered, don't be surprised if you get approached by someone wanting to give you a tour for a fee. Also, be careful of people trying to sell you things. Not in the amphitheater itself necessarily because there is security, but more so around the train or bus stations. Just be prepared to decline the offer. If you visit during the summer, make sure you stay hydrated and bring a lot of water. During the summer months, it gets up into the 90s Fahrenheit and without much shade in the amphitheater, plus lots of walking, heat exhaustion is a real possibility.
1: Holy smokes, you really broke that one down. Sounds like a fun place to visit. Okay, what about my favorite topic, the food? Are there restaurants around the site? Oh, and are there hotels around the amphitheater? For anyone planning on staying overnight?
0: So, in terms of hotels, there weren't any well-known chains that I could see, mostly homestay options or small hotels and and bed-and-breakfasts. There are a few restaurants near the entrance of the amphitheater, and some popular national or regional dishes includes brick, which are different meats, potatoes, and vegetables tucked into a thin pastry, or anything with couscous, which is a type of durum wheat that can be served like rice. And just a warning, it seems they like their peppers and spicy food, so for the spice-averse, be prepared.
1: Oh my goodness, that sounds like my type of cuisine. So, even though I don't like to leave food, let's change gears here. Any uh, urban legends, Bigfoot sightings, UFOs? What do you got?
0: Sorry to disappoint, but no conspiracy theories, urban legends, or paranormal activity to report. You can't win them all.
1: Oh, that's too bad. All right, then. So let's wrap things up. What issues or challenges are faced keeping the amphitheater preserved for the future?
0: The main issue faced with preserving this site revolves around housing and commercial development. Tunisian officials were asked to stop any new construction in the surrounding area of the amphitheater. It was also requested that they either get rid of the shopping plaza next door or cover it up somehow, though they did note that the shopping center doesn't necessarily pose any grave issue for the site currently. I appreciate that they're trying to think ahead. I think it was more of an eyesore And they were concerned about future foot traffic this might bring in, maybe more than they could handle. And I'm happy to report that it seems they were successful, as the Tunisian officials have built a hedge to kind of hide the shopping plaza, and they've outlawed any future building of permanent structures in the amphitheater moving forward.
1: Holy smokes, that's fantastic. I always love it when everything seems to be taken care of in these sites.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Global Treasures. Remember to follow if you haven't already, and don't be afraid to leave us a review.
1: Yes, reviews help people find this podcast so that these sites can be shared with more and more people, which will help us spread the word about these. See you next time as we travel to the ancient city of Damascus in Syria.